Welcome back to another episode of the Boundless and Bear podcast. My name is Melissa Ridge and I am here with Hazel Hogan. Hazel, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, it is a very cold and wet Wednesday evening in Dublin here. Um, but we're all cozy up in our little studio here um, and we're uh, going to listen to some poems later on um, and have some fun chats. Yeah. I am so happy that I finally got you onto this podcast because for ages um, I've been watching you perform your poetry and doing all these cool projects and I've just been a fan from afar and then recently we got to chatting and you know we're all friends and stuff and that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know Hazel I'm going to give you a little introduction. Um, Hazel Hogan is a poet from North Dublin. Her poem Grange Gorman was on the recommended list to be studied as part of the Junior Search Certificate English Curriculum 2017. Her poetry was submitted into the Irish Poetry Reading Archive as part of the UCD Digital Library and there's loads more um, achievements there. What age are you Hazel? I'm 26, just turned 26. That is amazing that the amount of accomplishments you've had and you're only 26. Uh, I know it's your favourite topic ever, the fact that your poem is on the junior star curriculum so we're going to get it done out of the way oh, Scarlett, okay <laughs> <laughs> what was that like like you wrote the poem um how how did they know like who who approached you about that um so no one approached me um i wrote the poem grange gorman when i was i think i was 20 when i wrote it um 20 or 21 um and then i think it came to the attention of whoever would have chosen that through um, a project called Dublin A Year in Words that was created by Linda Devlin and Stephen James Smith. That was a project supported by like Dublin City of Literature and UNESCO. Um, so each month it showcased a, po- a poet from Dublin uh, at a different location or a bookshop. Um, and I was lucky enough to be asked to do that. Um, and I think that's probably how it came to to light that poem. Um, but yeah, I just got a text from Colin Ke- Colin Keegan one morning, uh, saying you're on you're on the syllabus. And <laughs> I, I I didn't know what he meant, uh, and when I finally registered that he was talking about the two of us being being on the the list, I just kind of just sat in shock for about fifteen minutes, and then called my mom in, and she didn't really know what was going on, and I was like on my way to work, and just had to get up and going, but had all this new information in my mind, so. What is Grange Gorman about the poem? Um, so Grange Gorman is in reference to a squat um, in, uh, that happened um, in Dublin 7 in about 2015. Um, and the poem itself is about um, the eviction that would have happened. Um, so yeah, the guards bulldozed the place in, injured a number of people in the process. Uh, and evicted the place. We managed to get back in. Um, quite similar to Take Back the City, uh, what happened last year. Um, so yeah, it's about that. And then it's just kind of in reference to, like, I reference um, the rebels in 1916, because, you know, was it for this and all that. Yeah. I read somewhere that um, you said that you were told that, um, you know, you you wouldn't get an A in the Leaving Cert or the Junior Cert. A teacher told you that, you know, it wouldn't be likely for you to get an A in the Junior Cert and now you're on the curriculum. Yeah. Um, did you have, um, like, did you enjoy English in school or um, was it one of your best subjects or what, like, what, um, you know, what was, what was it like in school for you? Oh, I was such a little nerd. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I went to an educate together, um, like a pretty hippie-ish skill, and we always had like poets come in um, doing poetry with us. So I started writing when I was like 10 because of those people that came in uh, and was on the radio when I was 10 doing poetry. But um, yeah, no, then secretary skill was, I didn't really like the curriculum there. Uh, I just felt it was very like um, analytic rather than creative. And like... The teacher that said that to me, like she was a lovely teacher, I really liked her. Um, but like me being a little nerd was like, I want to get an A1 on like the English junior cert. And like I was in one of the lowest classes in school. So um, she was just kind of like, look, you're probably a B student, like learn your Shakespeare a little bit more and then we can talk. Um, 
so yeah she she said that to me so I, oh, it'd just be funny to have a chat with her now and be like hey miss I didn't like like do so well but now I want the like the junior <laughs> like now you have to teach me isn't that mad um if do you think if there were more poets similar to the style that you do that there'd be more um engagement with poetry in oh, the leaving and junior circle 100 percent, yeah definitely like even when we were doing the junior or the leaving the only poets that I could really relate to was Sylvia Plath or like I think we did Ivan Boland but even then it was like like Ivan Boland was talking about motherhood and that was amazing but like a 17 year old woman can't really relate to that mm. um so I mean like when I was in primary school I would have related to it a lot more because it was it was more on um about like the actual creation of a poet and like um or the creation of a poem um so that was definitely a bit more engaging rather than just reading a poem and then you know kind of learning rote learning like oh the poet meant this and this alliteration means that like no one in my skill like that yeah and how did you end up on the radio at 10 years old was were you reading your own poetry yeah yeah no um, way. Yeah, I actually forgot about it, but I remembered yesterday when someone asked me, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that happened." Um, yeah, no, I I just went to that educate together, and we would have learned a lot about like different like, uh, like, I suppose social justice kind of things at ten years. Yeah, old. at ten, but like I mean, for like the kind of suitable the, for a ten the year PG old PG version. Yeah, yeah. So we would have learned like about racism, and um, the first poem I ever wrote was about racism also I wrote a poem about a horse in snow and that was <laughs> cute and adorable I suppose but uh, yeah no we we learned about racism and then we had to like write a response poem to how it might feel to um be in in like that position so I wrote a poem uh, I think it was called difference um, and then the teacher just picked the best poem from each class so there was like myself and then like I think I was in sixth year, sixth class at the time, so it would have been like a, a kid from every class and the radio just producers came in one day and just we had a big assembly and I, I read it in front of the whole school. You've had a long career. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I suppose it started off because of North Bay. And um, how did you get involved in the spoken word scene in Dublin? Um well, the first time I ever heard about spoken word in Dublin was Lewis Kenny. Um, I seen his poem Cabra on YouTube and just fell in love with it instantly and didn't realise that that was an actual art form that people could do. And up until that point, I was like secretly scribbling. So then, I mean, I was searching for for gigs to go to and I couldn't find any, which is why your gig guide is so good. Um, but oh, I couldn't. shucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Um... But yeah, I couldn't find any. So I I was living in Grange Gorman at that time. So I started a, a thing called Words in the Warehouse. Um, and that's kind of when it all began. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about Words in the Warehouse. Oh, Jesus. It was mad. <laughs> um, it's actually referenced in uh, one of Colm Keegan's poems. And it, I think the line is, uh, it reminds him of, of a play that's forever collapsing. And I just love that because it, it was like, we just put it together with like heart it was like we're in an abandoned warehouse but like yeah I just had the idea and then we had a night and the first thing that you would think of when you think of words in the warehouse is like candles we would have we had like a thousand candles each each night wow um yeah thank god for the two euro shop (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah no it was just like an open mic kind of buzz like we had so many creatives around like Twin Headed Wolf and like Dermot and Breen uh, from Me Vagabonds um, so yeah everyone was kind of free to get up and do a poem uh, so it just became like a monthly thing and then it grew and grew and I mean Una Mullally wrote about it in the Irish Times and yeah it was just like this amazing like spark like it was it, it's gone now but like always in memory kind of buzz yeah I don't know no way that sounds amazing um, and yeah. it's it's not happening anymore obviously because yeah. Grange Gorman is closed and yeah. going to be built up into apartments and stuff yeah. like that it's a little now I walked by it's a little now yeah it's a little that's ridiculous <laughs> like. oh. um, so uh, was Lewis Kenny's video the first time you'd seen spoken word or had you seen anything like that before I had seen uh, 
Sarah Kay's TED Talk. Uh, it's I, always Sarah Kay, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, I love it so much if I should have a daughter. But that was the first time that I saw or was introduced to spoken word. But I, I kind of just assumed, oh, nothing like that is happening here. And kind of just got got on with it. Uh, but yeah, Sarah Kay's amazing. That poem is stunning. Um, what kind of stuff did you write about when you first kind of started writing poetry? Not when you were 10, no. but when you yeah. were performing in Dublin. Like what kind of themes were you um, playing with? Um, I guess I was pretty indignant. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of things that like I was angry about. So I kind of wrote about those things. Um, like at the homeless, homeless, yeah, homelessness crisis. Um, and I wrote about like feminism and Jesus, what else? Yeah, Grange Gorman and then like suppose some funny ones too. Um but mainly it was fueled by like all the things that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Like And did you get um the reaction you wanted or did you want a reaction? Was it a venting kind of thing that you wanted to do? Um I I, I actually didn't really think of it at the time. Like I think I just wanted a platform for creativity. Um but I mean I definitely did get a good reaction. Like I the second time I ever performed poetry was at Words in the Warehouse and um, I got a standing ovation um, and like loads of people were crying and yeah it kind of at that time I was like fuck I really, I really like this like I, I love that I can affect people that way so I mean for it's not like I wasn't searching for anything but I mean when I found that connection there I was like I, I really love this. And um, there are a lot of poets at the moment that are feeling somewhat directionless or aimless um you know because spoken word isn't technically an industry in ireland um but there are poets that consider themselves you know established professionals who have careers um what advice could you give them um for feeling aimless and directionless and like what they what can they do with their craft could you give them any advice um that's a good question i would say that yeah i think everyone has felt like that and it's it's hard not to feel like that uh, but I would I would just say go inwards and focus on your craft like that's the important thing at the end of the day not the like writing is a very lonely thing so if you can be okay with just sitting alone writing and practicing your craft that's more important than um I don't know as you were saying like trying to make it as a poet yeah <laughs> or something yeah. did you feel um detached when you were in Canada like away from the scene did you feel like you were missing out oh 100% yeah yeah no I I really miss Dublin and and the the creativity and like oh you just really miss the fact that I could just sit down and have a chat with someone about it about a poem or like how it made me feel or like you know that lovely feeling after an event when everyone's kind of like happy and everything's kind of gone well and like you just get this like retuning or like filling up of your like well I just really I really miss that and in Canada like I mean I just would get weird looks when I said I wrote poetry like people would think I was a nerd and like (laughs) it kind of it was it was nice it was like absence makes the heart grow fonder because now I definitely know that I love this and I want to always do it um but yeah I definitely missed it and uh you you missed um your your dog passed away while you were in Canada yeah he he did yeah that was that was not great yeah but as you said he's now immortalized in a poem that you wrote yeah <laughs> did, a, did a poem about my dog <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about your first poem yeah so um I suppose it would be inspired by Andrea Gibson's a love letter to my dog um yeah Alfie was the feistiest motherfucker <laughs> going so um I always wanted to you know write to him uh, when he when he left but uh, I suppose I couldn't for a while and then um, his anniversary of his one year anniversary passed just a week ago and yeah I just got like a wave of inspiration and, and wrote my poem um, and what age was he when he died he was 12 I think yeah so what kind of dog was he he was a little Yorkshire terrier he's the best oh. yeah he was my best pal I got him for Christmas and like cried with happiness and yeah really just didn't it didn't feel great being thousands of miles away when he when he had to go. Yeah. Well, this is a Hazel Hogan's poem. What's it called? Uh, a love letter to my dog. All right, let's listen. Dear Alfie, Alfalfa, Alfie Doodle, my puppy, my pooch, my pal. 
I don't think I could write a human a love letter as right as what I could write to you. This friendship was an evolutionary miracle thousands of years in the making. There were tears of happiness cried when you came into my sight under the Christmas tree light waiting on your new family to arrive. The sceptics would say they don't believe in love at first sight. Those self-same never had a dog in their life. What's it all about, Alfie? Well, for you, it was all about your tennis ball. You'd chase it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Down the road, through the park, to the beach, all the way home, you'd roll it under the couch. Within this dog-human relationship, there was a twist, a role reversal, when I'd retrieve it for you. Because you knew I'd always come running to you, playing your game of fetch, because we played it best. A good boy, the best doggo. Fluffer, woofer, pupper. You were the smallest dog in the park, but the amount of trouble we'd get into when you'd chase the largest dog going after it with your bark. I'd have to keep a sharp eye on you to see you through your mischief. There was always so much mischief that people mistook, but I never underestimated that you were on a search for perpetual adventure. You'd give me that one look, that's all it took, how you smiled him off the hook. I'd no longer be able to stay mad at you, too soft. Instead, ask you for your paw or our secret trick, that high five I taught you. And who could forget the silly songs I'd sing to you like an absolute sap? Like, what's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when they've got an Alfie? And you never cared if I sang completely off key or got the lyrics wrong. Because this love was unconditional. But it was me who mistook the, th- the thought that you'd always be by my side. That you'd forever thrive. Because you were my favourite fluffy member of my tribe. But all the best things must come to an end. Time doesn't stop. Sometimes you gotta say goodnight to your friends. Time doesn't mend the fact that you won't be there to greet me when I get home. So instead I wrote you this poem. I told you, I'd never write a love letter to a human as right as what I'd write to you. So here, as promised, my love letter, don't ever forget it. Because Alfie, Alfalfa, Alfie Doodle, my puppy, my pooch, my pal. You are my reason why we say dogs are a human's best friend. I love that poem so much. I can just imagine your little Yorkie chasing after the bigger dogs. <laughs> oh, Yay. it's such a cute poem. Thanks, Maureen. Um, So you have started a new project. You're doing your own podcast at the moment. I have, yeah. Being Earnest with Hazel Hogan. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, I suppose it was actually inspired by being away from, from Dublin and this the creative scene. Um, I mean, where I was, you were hard pushed to find anything creative. Um, Whereabouts in Canada were you? Uh, I was in Whistler, which is like a ski town, and like I don't know why I spent so much time there. It was just like a ski town full of drugs and no, no culture. So <laughs> <laughs> why, why did you? Why was that the destination? I don't know. It was just like I should travel before I get too old. But uh, I suppose when I was there, like I was kind of like trying to stay in touch with Ireland and Dublin. Um, and I got really into the Blind Boy podcast. Um, oh, he's so good. <laughs> um, and then I, I just fell in love with podcasts themselves. Like, I really love, like, even ourselves now, like, like if you're having a deadly conversation, it can feel like you're right there with people. Yeah. Um, and, like, I found that a lot when I was in Canada. Like, it kept me from being homesick when I was ever, whenever I was listening to, like, Blind Boy or an Irish person or even the other Irish podcasts. So yeah, I just really liked the medium and then I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to try it and see what happens. And is it um, just for spoken word artists or he- like what kind of guests have you on your podcast? Um, So yeah, there's going to be a lot of poets and spoken word artists just because there's loads of deadly ones around. But I hope to have like musicians and activists um, or anyone who's just like knowledgeable in their field or like I had my friend Colm on and he's like he did a circumnavigation of the entire top half of the earth so like that's a really cool story like let's have you on and have a chat and yeah so whoever whoever I feel because I feel like Dublin and Ireland itself is teeming with kill people who have deadly stories see absolutely absolutely I mean this is that's why we started this podcast so we could kind of get to know the artists that exist and let listeners know like you know you can listen to the work but you know now you have an opportunity to listen to the you know the creation the creative mind behind the process yeah and, you know it's it's a bit of crack like just having the conversations yeah, like having like, the chats having the chats yeah it's a really nice process as well like it's it's nice not to have like that whole like 
nerve-wracking thing because it's not a poem so therefore it doesn't have to be good you just have the chats with people and then you just edit it and hopefully people like it absolutely and it, like I hate the interviews that last maybe like 10 minutes because people get so tense and they're nervous yeah whereas if you have a podcast you've like an hour so people are mellowed out by the end yeah, yeah. and the filter kind of slips a little bit <laughs> you get you like your, your podcast name is pretty apt I mean being earnest oh, you're thanks. gonna get the honesty out of yeah people. yeah <laughs> But um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about you have um, three quotes under your biography. One oh, yeah. is from Saul Williams. Uh, yeah. have, and the quote is there. Those are some fighting words. That's probably not his accent because I know he's American. Yeah, yeah. But those are some fighting <laughs> words. Have you met Saul Williams? I did. Yeah. I, no way. Yeah. Like he was right there when he said that to me. Um, I after Lingo, I did the WordWorks project um, and oh thank god we were lucky enough that we met Saul um at a really like intimate thing with school children and then there was the five people who had done word works um Colm Keegan got us into that or Stephen James Smith I think um and it was in Fighting Words um and he he did um oh it was so amazing <laughs> he like chatted to us and like did some poetry and like talked about art itself and then like there was a few people picked who could like stand up and share a poem with them um, so I, I shared a poem with him and uh, yeah, he just kind of looked at me and was like, in his like lovely way, he's just like, those are some fighting words or whatever. And it was like really powerful. And I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> daddy. No yeah. What spoken word um, artist would you love to meet? Oh, Jesus. Um, that's a hard one. Um, I suppose I would really like to, uh, I'd really like to meet Andrea Gibson. I'm kind of thinking outside Ireland. Uh, oh, no, actually, no, I pick Kate Tempest all the way. Oh, yeah. Kate I, Tempest is yeah, lit. She's amazing. Yeah, I think I'd have to say Kate Tempest as well. Yeah. But I don't know, she she intimidates me. I don't know what really? it is. Yeah. yeah, like I love reading her poetry, but the idea of meeting her is terrifying. I'm I'm the worst with like meeting people that I, like I'm a fan of. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's like, OK, I'm a fan, but... I, I don't know what it is. It's star, I think it's like starstruck. starstruck. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, The first time I met Emma Kieran, who like he's a celebrity now, but at the time when I met him, he wasn't really a celebrity. But to me, I was like, I can't talk to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he, I can't talk to him. <laughs> but of course, Melanie pushed me over and I had to talk to him. And nice. it was the most embarrassing moment oh, of my life. Oh, but he's so lovely. Like. He is so lovely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Kate Tempest intimidates me a oh, lot. <laughs> I, I just feel like she would just be like a mate. Like, she just seems really, like, down to earth. Yeah. Um, Feli Speaks just opened up her in Vicar Street last week. And, I like, know. it was amazing. And then she got to have a pint with her and, oh, yeah, I don't know, it just was amazing. Seeing, seeing her live was, like, going to church. Yeah. Was yeah. it more poetry or was it more music or was it, like, the perfect medium? Oh, it was perfect medium, actually. Yeah, it was... It was so visceral, uh, but I was also a bit drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, also Feli Speaks was amazing. It was so cool to like see her uh, doing her thing in front of all those people. Yeah, uh, sh- like Feli Speaks is doing such great work. Yeah. Um, they've started um, the collective that um, she's a part of, We Are Grio, with Dagogo Heart. They have um, started a new slam night in Dublin, Talkatives, which you were a part of. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that Do was great. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Talkatives. Yeah, it was amazing. It was such a good evening. Um, I got there, wasn't expecting a line of people out the door queuing up for it. Or the stage that it was on, it was amazing. It was like proper like in the green room bag of nerves with all the other poem, poets and rappers who well uh what other poets were there um craig doyle who is also known as unorthodox kulak yeah i love that he, instagram handle yeah <laughs> he's such a good poet i really already yeah check him out uh who else there was a guy called cam Um, he was the winner uh, i didn't i wasn't aware of his poetry before and then Bo williams and Oh, myself. Yeah, that was the other poet. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff. <laughs> Jeff the poet. Yeah, who I love. 
there because um, I, I know Cam and there's been a curse hanging over that poor poet. Yeah. For every slam that he's done, he's always come in second place. Oh, no way. So I was delighted to see he actually <laughs> broke won the curse. <laughs> he broke the yeah. curse. Um, did you know the rappers or do you know them now? Um, I knew Sea um, High, who's great. And then I didn't know much of the others. Um, God, I can see their names, but I... <laughs> They were all amazing. Like, like there was this one girl. Um, oh, I'm really sorry. I can't remember her name, but she was unreal. She opened up for Mac Miller like a few years ago. I was like, <gasps> I like, saw, I saw her uh, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, I was reading her biography. I was like, who is this yeah, girl? She was what so cute. Cool. <laughs> and like, yeah, my my dad was there, and he even loved it. I was like, this is deadly. <laughs> and, and then, oh, sorry, go on. No, you go on. Uh, also, like, Mathman uh, from Mango Mathman, he was judging, and there was a judge from Poetry Ireland as well. So, yeah, it was a really good night, like, yeah. When was the last time you had done a slam before that? Oh, Jesus, I'm very much out of practice because of Canada. Um, Probably about two years, yeah. And yeah. were the nerves just, like, eating you alive? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, it was, I think it was even obvious to the crowd that I was nervous, but, like, apparently, I don't know, maybe... My friend Owen <laughs> reassured me and told me that the nerves were reassuring or endearing. But uh, yeah, I'm very out of practice and very uh, need to get back into it. Do you, do you like slams or like do, um, do you have a dis- like distaste of them or do you think that they're fun to be a part of? Because some people, they have very strong feelings. They, yeah, they do. Don't they? Slams. I mean, I don't think I have a strong opinion on them. I like I wouldn't ever go and be like, oh, I'm going to go do a slam and like I'm going to write this slam piece just for that. Um, but like I definitely think that if you have a competition and that's what makes people listen to poetry then do that uh, I've never actually won a slam I don't yeah never um, but I love in do you know 21 Jump Street Cynthia Cynthia died for our Cynthia's oh it's so good <laughs> Cynthia died for our Cynthia <laughs> yeah, that was the best slam poem ever <laughs> And I vote because I haven't had a chance to go to talkatives yet. There's there's only been two events, and yeah. there will be more. Um, it's an acoustic. It's acoustic, isn't it? Because it's slam poetry and hip hop. Yeah. Does the hip hop get lost without the music, or is like what's that like? Um, in fairness, I couldn't actually watch too much. We we were told to go to the green. Oh, green you were room. chilling in the green room. Yeah, but I do know that a lot of the like even the girl that we were speaking about, she was very nervous that her poetry would or the the words would translate well uh, without the beat but like in terms of like what I seen I, I thought it was amazing like I just love, love hip-hop in general like no so do I absolutely yeah. but I always wondered like what like what as you said like the translation of the song or the yeah. piece without the beat in the background um so I have to go obviously yeah, to no, a talk to this event and see but um the poet Jeff actually he was uh, one of the rappers came up to him and was like you need to put a beat behind your tracks like you're really good at this like so yeah so yeah, that, that, that was talkative cool. <laughs> um, yeah do you want to tell us a little bit about your second poem yeah uh, so the baseline marries the beat which is actually a quote that I took from a Saul, Will- yeah, Saul Williams poem um, I think it's DNA um, so yeah that poem is about music because uh, I love music and it's just a bit, I started writing it when I was on a night out uh, in the back of the Bernard Shaw actually with Lewis Kenny um, just writing away on my phone and then I ended up staying out all day and then just seeing seeing one of my friends on the bus and we were just like chatting and uh, like listening to music and listening to the Smiths <laughs> do you know that song yeah. like the double um there's a light that never goes out, but it's uh, if a double-decker bus crashes into us to die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what it's in reference to because we were on the back of the bus listening to that song and I was like, oh, this is very mad. So I don't know. It's just, yeah, just wrote that. All right. Does it have a name? It does. It's uh, The Baseline Marries the Beat. You did say that. Yeah. Oh my God, I have a head like a sieve today. <laughs> no, but. No All right. Better. Let's listen to your uh, second poem. The beats provided give solid rhythm to the day's flow and I'm thinking we could be anywhere in time. 
but there's nowhere that I'd rather be but here in this chilled out spot with the swirling spools of cigarette smoke billowing towards the sky as we sit, sipping on pints, smiling in the lights, glittering and littering their way across these streets as we watch the crowd who dance their way through beats. Now as day gives way to dusk, that Saturday night feeling has hit me just right. The turntables have me turning in time. Cannot help but move my feet, blissfully. I'm lost in the saxophone symphony, the sound system playing Stevie, very superstitiously. Melody brings people together in harmony and with fluidity this fella dances over to me all friendly. He says, I can tell by the way you move that you are in love with life. And he would be right, because music has been so formative for me. I can still remember the first time I heard the Smiths. There's a light that never goes out and stopping on my tracks to listen to the lyrics. Letting them light a fire within me. Enveloped in the idea that life could mean so much more at times that if I were to leave this earth now I'd leave peacefully, knowing that to cease to be would be heavenly because of a moment and what it has meant to me. That's what Morrissey's words said to me. Now as night gives way to dawn, songs are slowing and the crowd is singing for one more tune so the beat goes on until the lights come on. Now it's time to get going. The crowd is flowing out into the shuttered up humming streets as we pass by the shimmering lights on the Liffey. Smiling at how soon this will become memory. Smile lit up as I spot my friend who I bump into consistently. He gets the same bus as me. And as I grasp this moment in the back of the bus, one earphone each going splits on the beats with this blue-eyed beauty talking musically, I let the waves crash over and soothe me. Thinking, I'm glad to be alive. So put that beat back on and we'll dance a while. I love the way you use words. I mean, I I know you like fall over yourself sometimes when you're trying to perform, but it's, you know, you use such great wording. Do you know what I mean? Like it's tongue twisters, but it's, it creates such a beat. I love it so much. Um, like what, how do you, how do you, what's your process in writing? Do you just find words that sound really nice together or do you write and you just look at the page and you go oh would you look at that I've just created poetry <laughs> um I I I think thank you by the way um I think I just I don't even know how I do it I just uh I suppose yeah just write uh what I love doing actually is I just love like free free writing and seeing what comes out of it um and then like forming it into a poem or else um like having an idea and then free writing around that and then that's generally how the poems come about. Yeah, so I suppose I'm just kind of playing around with words or like with ideas. And I suppose the rhythm is um, uh, intrinsic to that. Like, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, once I get a rhythm going, that that's kind of how the poems come. Like if I don't really have an, a rhythm or like that spark that you need, it, it's not happening. So I, I suppose, yeah, I rely on that kind of spark or that like play on words. Would you ever love to have a beat behind your own poetry? Uh, I yeah, that might be really fun. Um, yeah, like a spoken word album would be cool. Um, yeah, like that would be a lot of fun to play with, and like, I think you could probably be a bit uh, a bit more fluid with the words then, because then maybe you're creating like a story or a narrative. Um, one person actually I didn't realize it was happening but this was way back when I just had begun my friend was playing guitar behind me when I was doing a poem and that was really off-putting actually because I had my own rhythm within the poem and I'm not good at multitasking so I just couldn't do it <laughs> like for someone who can write rhythmically, rhythmically I, I, I have no rhythm I have the rhythm of a dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> oh um so spoken word album could be in the future and you're currently doing a podcast have you any other future projects that you would love to do or might be in the works right now yeah i've i've loads like i suppose it's just getting the time to do it like i i would love to eventually write my first book um or even a chat book or um yeah get into maybe short stories or just yeah i like i like where the podcast is going at the minute i like the process of that that's fun but yeah I definitely would like to do a bit more and who knows maybe do a spoken word album <laughs> yeah absolutely I would love to do a spoken word album do you think that um an album would be a lot more um I don't know less restrictive than a book would be yeah 
I I was actually thinking about this the other day. It's, I think it would be res- less restrictive in the sense that more people would actually listen to it because like it's way easier to go on Spotify whenever you want than it is to get someone to go into Easton's and buy your book. Like if it's on Spotify, they're 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 gonna listen to it, and if they like it, they're gonna listen again. Um, but then restrictive in terms of like the process of it, I think. Uh, sure, I don't know. I'd have to find some musician friends and then. Uh, but it would be a bit of crack. Do you think spoken word loses something when music is added? Like, does it? When does it stop being spoken word poetry and just becomes music? This is what I've wondered. Uh, when you're not Kate Tempest, <laughs> um, I actually haven't thought about that. What do you think about that? Because that's something I have been thinking about. Because <clears throat> a lot of people will consider Kate Tempest to be a musician. Yeah. And the poets are there, like, no, she's a spoken word artist, and they're like, a what? She creates yeah. music. She's a rapper, and it's like, well, where, where does the spoken word yeah. fit into that? And I, like, I'm fighting for like, you know, spoken word is a legitimate art form. Yeah. But then it also melds into other things so well. So, you know, you've got spoken word theatre, but those spoken word artists will eventually become actors and actresses. Yeah. And then you have, like Kate Tempest, you have the spoken word artists that are mixing music in with poetry and then they just get, you know, uh, defined as musicians. So, yeah, this is something I've been thinking about. Yeah, I suppose there is that difference but also if anyone's debating whether or not Kate Tempest is a poet she won the Ted Hughes award yeah, so she <laughs> no yeah. she absolutely is a poet like yeah. her, I've read her work and she's unreal, she's unreal and I've listened to yeah. her but yeah no she's definitely a poet yeah so yeah that's the only thing I would be concerned about doing a spoken word album you know yeah. like well I think I think it is a nice art form to mix because it spoken word could be so musical like have you listened to the mango mathman album no actually oh he has this amazing opening piece called um uh bread and butter um you can also check it out on rte but it's a spoken word poem that he wrote about uh three years ago and it just has this really lovely element to it and like there's like a soundscape of dublin in the background and like it's very poetic but it's also really musical and lovely um so I mean, when you, I think when you're that talented, it doesn't even matter. And like the likes of Kate Tempest, it doesn't even matter what she's doing. It's just the words are amazing, and then the beat is also just a compliment to that. Actually, I suppose yeah. It's I I suppose for me anyway, lyrics are the most important thing. So if I was to do a spoken word album, I would have to focus on the words and then have the beat complement it rather than drowning it out. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does. That yeah. I, that was I asking a question? I don't know, but I feel like you answered whatever question I had. <laughs> so yeah. Um, what has been your favorite gig or like performance that oh. you've ever done? Oh God. Um. <laughs> <laughs> or if you have one, like my human brain just goes straight to the like the worst performances. <laughs> okay, well then, what has been your oh, worst God. performance? I've never given a good performance at Electric Picnic. <laughs> I just, I find that festival so overwhelming. Uh, but yeah, the best ones, I suppose. Uh, I mean, yeah, the first time in Words in the Warehouse, there was definitely something really powerful that night uh, in the energy. Um, and then, oh God. Uh, I really, I really enjoy, I actually really, to go back to talkatives, I really enjoy talkatives because even though I was very nervous, after two years of being out of practice of performing it, it kind of gave me a nice little like boost of oh yeah this is what this feels like and this is really fun um but yeah to be honest I've gone blank on uh, the best performances I've now that I've asked the question when I'm thinking about mine I'm automatically going to the worst ones yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean like all the good ones just kind of like they meld in together yeah. because it's like okay this is how it's supposed to be and then the ones that stand out are the ones that yeah. you know you bombed hard on yeah, stage yeah. or just you know forgot your life yeah. and just left <laughs> the nerves took over yeah so yeah no. but I would say that like my favorite ones to do are like when you can actually like see the create the crowd reacting or like small intimate spaces and it's like very visceral and like you're kind of bringing people on a journey and you can kind of feel that and there's like an energy in the crowd 
I suppose that's my favourite kind of atmosphere to perform in. I'm the same. I yeah. prefer a way more intimate crowd. I don't like the spotlight. Yeah. That you can't see anything. I like seeing people's faces and their reactions and things yeah. like that. It's really validating. It's like, <laughs> oh, I said a line and that person's weeping over there. Oh, <laughs> let me go. <laughs> yeah, I remember someone said to me um, uh, that uh, tears for poetry is like poetic currency. So yeah, when you see someone weeping, you're like, woo, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I mean, that's the only currency we ever get. Yeah, really, Jesus. It's not like we're getting paid over here. Yeah, oh, Jesus Christ. But sure, look, we're not like, we're poets. We're not fucking out to be millionaires. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But we do have to be slightly mercenary because otherwise we die. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever see that meme lately where it's like, look at all this food I can make with the exposure I got. And like, oh, that's so true. Because <laughs> there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dust. I suppose my last question before we get on to the fun part is... Um, for people who are new to the spoken word scene, what advice would you give them um, to like starting out? People that have, you know, they've been writing and now they're thinking, okay, maybe I want to get involved. What do you think they should do? Um, I would say have a look at your gig guide <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just have fun with it. Like, um, I, I would actually say go alone to gigs. Um, I did that when I started out mostly because none of my friends like poetry <laughs> um, and but I, I actually find going alone is a really good thing to do because it means like you kind of you can sit into people's performances and and that's all that's your only focus and I think that's important when you're beginning out is to like listen really really listen to people and hear what they have to say but then also just like you know have a chat with people afterwards and get to know them and like because there is a lovely community of poets out there and like that's half the fun nearly is just being able to go out and have a point with them after um but yeah get up even when you're nervous um and like kind of remember that like no matter how many times you've done it you're always going to be nervous but like learn. every every time yeah every it doesn't time. go away no not at all like it's a it's a very vulnerable thing to do is to like bury yourself on or your your words on stage but yeah just um have fun with it and then also you know that lovely feeling that you get after a gig when like you just feel revived again mm-hmm. I would say go home and like capture that and just kind of keep it with you and <sighs> let it fuel yeah let, let it, it fuel yeah you. let it fuel you for like when you need it because yeah yeah I don't know I don't really have any uh, advice in terms of anything else because all you can do really is just 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 go out there and do it like, yeah because people come to you and they're like but like how do you do it and it's like there's really there's nothing to it you just do it you yeah know? you just like you just have the crack with it like i'm that's... the worst at giving that advice i'm like just do it like what's, yeah. what's stopping it? There, there's me social anxiety like just fucking do it yeah shia labeouf just just do it <laughs> yeah no just go have the crack and then see what's out there and go see gigs and find your favorite poets um, the gig guide is on our website the Boundless and Bear website um, so have a look there's open mics all over the country um, so wherever you are there is somewhere for you to go and you know get nervous and try out your poetic stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright so on to the fun bit um, if you could be a pizza topping what topping would you be <laughs> and why <laughs> Jesus okay um um i would be i would be one of the pizzas from the big blue bus from the bernard shaw and i would be their their rocket and their hummus mixed together because that was the best pizza in dublin and shout out to the bernard shaw that's now gone (laughs) wait so the big blue bus that's a that's from bernard shaw yeah yeah so the one that's been at the festivals that I've been going to. Yeah. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I feel like I've had like a gap in my like cultural mind or something, yeah. not knowing that. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's real tasty though. Rocket yeah, and hummus. So good. Hummus on pizza though. Oh, sorry. Not hummus. Jesus. Pesto. Oh, yeah. Hummus on pizza would be a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit like paste yeah it's a tangy paste delicious paste <laughs> delicious paste <laughs> oh god what would you be oh i i'm always I, I never know what i want to be on a pizza you know like 
at least Melanie isn't here to criticize me yeah. and tell me that, you know, my choices are gross or, you know, horrible. I don't need you, Melanie. I don't <laughs> miss you. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I would be mushrooms. I'm feeling mushroomy, yeah. you know. You're a fun guy. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> but like the kind of mushrooms that have like been soaked in butter. Yeah. And, you know, seasoned with like loads of salt. Like the mushrooms that aren't healthy. Those are the mushrooms I want to be right now. Um, just comfort food. Yummy, yummy. Oh, I'm going to go home and eat Delicious. some mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next question I have for you is if you could have a superpower, what superpower would you have and why? Okay. Oh, Jesus. I already know how to answer this because I've thought about it extensively. <laughs> um, if I had a superpower, I would choose to teleport. And I've thought about it for some time and I think it's the best one because, you know, you could just having a shit day in Dublin it's a bit rainy just go to the Bahamas and have a little have a little uh, lie in the sun or like want to go snowboarding go to Whistler your favourite band is playing in Amsterdam or wherever you can just go see them and also sneak in to free gigs um, and then also you can rob banks so then Ooh. therefore you're always going to be grand yeah, yeah. always going to be grand <laughs> yeah so teleport your way into having a deadly life absolutely like that is a good that is a good one and actually now that I've thought about it there are protests on in Dublin right now tractors are parked all over Stevens Green yeah. and up beside the doll so I actually want to steal yours like right now yeah. the superpower of teleportation so I don't have to wait an hour for a 46A or oh, two hours to get home when I live half an hour away yeah. oh stop like not even going to the Bahamas I want to teleport from work into bed yeah that's what I want oh right that now. would be so nice but then you wouldn't even have to go to work because you just you don't even have to because yeah. you can just like rob rich people and they oh. wouldn't even notice Um, that's probably not <laughs> but then also you could like you could rob them and then like feed homeless people with their money like if you could teleport I mean you could you could do some cool things you could definitely solve a lot of displacement um, issues around the world with teleportation yeah like even if there's a like someone out at sea you could just like go get them I know and but would you have to know where you're going before you go like if you've never been to say Amsterdam before yeah. how can you teleport to somewhere you've never been oh Jesus this is the physics of it now. <laughs> we might need a mathematician in here. Uh, I don't know. Like, let it, it would be more fun if you didn't have to do any of that and you could just go out to Amsterdam and fucking go see, I don't know, Ben Howard or like Mac DeMarco play. <laughs> or if you look at a picture of somebody, say Mac DeMarco, yeah. and then you appear beside him. Oh, Jesus, work. that would be a bit creepy you now. Yeah, but... <laughs> That could work, though. I feel like that's like a loophole to the yeah. whole mathematician physics thing of like, if you don't know where you're going, if you know the person that you want to yeah, see. Yeah, true. Oh, my God. You could scare Donald Trump so much. You could like have a really fun time <laughs> scaring the shit out of that man <laughs> and wrecking his hair. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, that answers that question. <laughs> Um, okay, so I guess my last. Um, well, this isn't really a question; it's more of a demand. Okay. Um, do you have a joke or a funny story or a wholesome moment that you'd like to share? Um. Oh Jesus. Uh, mm, I have a really funny joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, no, it's not that funny at all. How'd you cook a monkey? Oh God, how? You grill him. <laughs> <laughs> I love stupid jokes. I know they're the best. What you call a fly with no wings? A walk. A walk, yeah. <laughs> what you say to a bear that wants to fight? Walk. Oh no, that's not it. Never mind. I've ruined that one now. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it was something about com common bear, but it was something to do with cheese too. <laughs> oh, what you say to it? What does the cheese say to itself in the mirror? I don't know. Hello, me. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> it's so bad. So I mean, good. I could do an entire podcast of you just telling me shit. Jokes. Can we please? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, um, tell me about your third poem. Your third and final poem. My third poem. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. 
It is called I Used to Live There and it is about Grange Gorman. Um and the the compound that Grange Gorman sat on was like this amazing um compound in the middle of Dublin. Um it had three houses and like a house in the back and like people built houses out of like recycled structures and we had a community garden. So it's about that. Um uh actually that's kind of off topic but what it's actually about is the the space itself and like walking by it now and seeing it as a little but I I have this friend who I lived in the the squat with um and he actually he um went in one night when the security guards were still there and he stole um a brick from our old house like you know those really nice auburn bricks yeah um and my house that i lived in was called the piano squat because we had an old piano in the house and a few people could play it um and th- my friend he he went in and got like a brick for each member of uh of the house who had lived there and he painted like the keys of a piano um <sighs> onto onto the brick so uh yeah th- when he gave me that i was like uh just inspired to write that poem Unreal. Before we listen to it, I have a few um, things I want to mention. Um, So first of all, the second issue of Bound magazine is now on sale. Um, You can buy it online from the Boundless and Bear website. Um, There's some deadly articles in there. And um, listen to Hazel Hogan's um, podcast, Being Earnest. Um, What channels or what platforms can you listen to it on? Thanks for the shout out. <laughs> um, you can listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, Acast, uh, Comcast. Everywhere you get your podcast from. <laughs> that buzz. Yeah, no, it's on everything. Unreal. And do you have any gigs coming up? Or? Uh, I, I do. Um, I'm doing uh, Casey Shelley's night. Um, so yeah, I'll be around. Yeah. That's Aileen? Yeah, Aileen. I don't know how to pronounce so it. So it's art in irish and that's what the open mic is called alien open mic i think oh, that's what nice. it's called yeah um so yeah check hazel out um when, when about it uh, next sunday next but sure will this be on air haven't a clue we'll see sure edit, edit it out if it's not <laughs> um i'll be around <laughs> all right um hazel thank you so much for being on the podcast and yeah. um, it's been an absolute delight thanks for having me all right, good. This, oh, this is Hazel's third poem. The earth and clay still wet clings to the auburn red brick, one the small sum of many that made up our old home. A home no more, but always with me. I walk by the decay and broken glass and say, I used to live there. I did so much more than live there, grew there, became whole there, became the person that I know I am today in influence of that place. The brick and mortar, but so much more. I love there. And if you listen closely, you'll hear the heartbeat of the place on a silent day when the wind shakes the ghost of trees that we used to sit sheltered in the shade on the sunlight on those long summer days. I could bring you now, breathe life into the disarray of all that is left along with the dust. This is where the piano lay. My fingers would tumble over keys attempting music and melodies. These walls were grey once, flicked and sprayed with swirling spools of colour. These pictures paint a thousand words and if I had the time I'd tell them all. Let the history sing, let the paint bleed rivers running through the streets. Now though, all the words I have to give is, I used to live there and I remember, I remember, I remember. And I want nothing more from life than memories, love and to know that I've left something good behind in my wake. If these bricks give some semblance of that encrusted with the ghost of dreams and memories, even though it's dead and gone, it's been enough for me.